This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Hello, good morning. <laughs> that first one was just for me. It was just between me and the Lord, and I'm bringing you guys in. Uh, well, welcome everyone here and that's watching us online. Say hello to all our campuses. Hi, guys. Uh, if you guys could, let's stand as we recite together the Apostle Creed. This is our statement of faith, what we believe here at Celebration Church. Even God, it's not there. So I was about to sing the last song that we had in worship. <laughs> You can tell I haven't done this in a little while. Let me redirect here. Okay, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Phil Gunger. I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration Church. Um, our lead pastor, Mark Gunger, I am his son, and I could hear his voice telling me, you should put the creed in your notes so that it's just always there, right? He's told that to us so many times. It's that classic thing, ah, my dad, whatever. Dang it, now he can say, see, I told you so. Okay. <laughs> well, cool. at this time, um, we are going to actually get ready to take our tithes and our offerings during this um, little pandemic that we're going through, little, I don't know why I threw it in there, made it sound it's not so bad, but uh, during, during this time, we haven't been passing out the baskets, so we've been taking uh, offering digitally, so you'll see on the screen there, uh, ways to give, you can go to celebrationchurch.tv to give, or you can text CCWI, uh, and then the dollar amount to 77977, you can do that, and of course, you can always continue to send in your checks as well. There's those of you who love writing those checks, and uh, we'll process those as well. So, all right, you can do that. Now, um, this morning, uh, yes, I'm filling in for the old man. He, uh, for those of you who might be new here and don't know, he has a uh, marriage ministry, and um, he travels all around the world putting on events, helping married couples. And, uh, of course, there haven't really been events for the past year, as you've noticed, so he's uh, been here a lot more. And I tell you what, just kind of behind the scenes, he's really sort of enjoyed just being here uh, a lot more. 
Uh, he always loves being here, but it's been great, and he's got a chance to sort of relax. He's turned into like this lumberjack guy, by the way, which is weird. For those of you who have known my father for any period of time, he's got some land up in Crivets, and he's like, go up there, he kept having new things. Like, I got a chainsaw, I've got this, I have a tractor. I got a skid steer. I'm just like, well, who are you? What are you doing? I told him, man, he is one, you know, sermon series away from the seven seals in Revelation from being on the FBI's most wanted list. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but he's doing an event this weekend, which is awesome. So he's out there doing that. Yeah, it's very cool. So I was more than happy to step in. And now, uh, uh, also for those of you who don't know, I also go out and do those marriage things as well. And normally I'm speaking. I haven't spoken in a while. So hopefully I still remember how to do it. Let's see. Let's start. <laughs> Let's start. We're going to start taking a look um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And this is a story of Samuel and Eli. And if you've ever grown up in church, been in kids' services before, I'm sure you've heard this story and remember it. But just to kind of set it up, um, Eli's mom, her name is Hannah, and she really wanted a baby boy. And she's trusting God, praying, give me a baby boy. I want a baby boy. Boom, she's blessed with this baby boy. She's so thankful to God that she takes her son, who's Eli, she dedicates him at the temple, and then she like leaves him there to be dedicated into the service of the Lord. So he's a temple boy, and he's there, and he's serving God, and he's doing that. And she leaves him under the care of this high priest who's there, and his name is Eli. And I think that I mentioned that her son's name was Eli. And if you're following along, that was incorrect. You can cross it out in your notes. Her son's name was Samuel. <laughs> It's been a while since I've spoken. <laughs> Words coming out of my mouth, they'll be there. Uh, so anyway, so that's, that's kind of where we're picking up. So Samuel's this boy, he's at the temple uh, with Eli. Uh, so we're pick here, chapter three, verse one. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Now, what I think is interesting here is he has a usual place. Do your dads ever have a usual place? That's just what I thought was interesting. I wasn't gonna tie anything big into there, but I thought, see, it's true, guys, just they have their chair. This has been like this for thousands of years. This is the Lord. So now I can tell my kids, you're in my seat, you need to move, it is the Lord. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, verse three, it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called to Samuel. And Samuel goes, yeah, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Right, so Samuel hears a voice. He assumes it must be the only other person here. So he goes and says, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he laid back down. And then again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down, quit bugging me. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So he doesn't know the voice of the Lord and how he speaks. And so uh, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So here in verse eight, it says, a third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he told Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say, 
Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. You know, God wants to speak to you. He does. You might wonder, does the Lord still speak to us? Absolutely, he does. But I think a lot of us are like Samuel. We don't realize he's speaking to us. You know, he's speaking to us. God speaks with us. You look at the very beginning in Genesis. He creates man. What does he do? He talks to man. Right? He lays out the rules for Adam. He's just kind of, boom, he's there. <laughs> he didn't just leave him with a to-do list. He said, hey, listen, you're, you're in this garden. You can take care of it. You can eat anything here. Don't eat there. So, of course, what ends up happening? He eats there. And even after Adam eats, you know, of the wrong tree, he sins. God still comes and he's still looking for him. And he shows up in the garden. And it says that Adam knows that God's looking for him. So he goes and he hides. Like, you can hide from God. I feel like God always wins at a game of hide and seek. <laughs> But God still calls out. He says, Adam, Adam, where, where are you? I said, think, how many of us right now is God in our lives saying, hey, wait, where are you? Now, he knows where we are, but he wants us to talk to him. And you know, the communication with God, you know, God wants to have a relationship with us. And as with any relationship, there needs to be good communication, Right? So if you look at a marriage relationship and you find out like you guys just stop communicating, that's like a warning sign. There needs to be that communication. And while there's pretty much, you know, one main way that we talk to God and that's through prayer, right? That's why we're taking this focus and this emphasis right now of focusing in on prayer. It's kind of working on your communication skills with God. When God speaks to us, he can do it in various ways. You know, in this instance, he's actually sitting there calling Samuel's name. And what I think is so also interesting about this is, like, it's God. I feel like if God wanted to let himself be known to someone, he could make it clear. Right? It's like he calls you on the phone. You ever get a phone call from someone, and they go, hey, man, how's it going? And you have no idea who it is. Right? And then you're sitting there talking to him, and it takes you a while to kind of figure out who is this person. <laughs> You know, you might want to, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Oh, sorry. Well, not me. I usually start and I'd say, hey, this is Phil Gunger from Celebration Church. I'm calling for such and such, right? Get it up front. God doesn't do that. He just comes in. He's like, Samuel, Samuel. And it requires Samuel to have someone in his life, an Eli, who puts two and two together and says, hey, man, I think God's trying to speak to you. Because it says here, Samuel doesn't quite, he doesn't know the word of the Lord yet. He doesn't know when God's speaking to him. And I thought, you know what? I, th I think this is like a lot of us that we have, I, I'm sure God is speaking to me at times in my life and I have no clue. Which is why it's important to have people in my life who I can share my life with who are mature Christians, who can help distinguish like, you know, you start talking about something going on in your life and they go, you know what? I think God might be trying to tell you something. But if you don't have that, you're, I think we're missing out sometimes when God's speaking to us. You know, it reminds me of a story, uh, uh, I may have mentioned this once before, or my dad has, it's a story of how, he likes to tell a story of how I totaled his BMW. 
which is so misleading, right? It's like he totaled an $80,000. It was like a $3,000 used BMW. Like I said, he, he tells it the other way because it makes his story a lot better. But I did, I did, uh, I did total it. And uh, I remember sitting in my room and I was just, it was after it and I was just kind of still in shell shock the next day and my dad came and he just said, you know, sometimes God can use things like this to get a hold of us. And it's like when he said that, it was like, bam, something just hit me. I thought, you know, if I wouldn't have had someone in my life to say that, what would I have missed? Because at that point, I was still kind of like, I grew up in church, but I wasn't, yeah. My, you know, you kind of have that thought of, yeah, someday I'll get serious about God, but I don't quite know. But it was something in that moment that really hit me. And I kind of thought as I'm, I'm sitting here reading this, I thought, man, there's, this is something for us to remember. This is why it's important to have people in our lives. You know, because it's easy to come in and we sit and, and you can hear and, and I can say something to you and, and I certainly, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit speaks something to your heart, but it's not kind of the same of really sharing life with people. And I think some of you, you need to find some more good, solid, mature Christians in your lives and share part of your life with them. It doesn't mean you, like, you need to become besties and do everything together. Like, no, if you come on strong like that, they'll probably say, go away. <laughs> but like, go have dinner. You, I mean, just go have a dinner with someone one time. And you get to know them a little bit. Maybe a few months later, you get together again. You do something again. You start to get to know some of these people that are around here because all of a sudden something happens in your life and you can share with them what's going on. Could be something going on in your marriage or with your kids, you're at your job and you, and you never know when all of a sudden someone will say something that's like, it hits you. And what that is, is that's God trying to talk to you, but you're not hearing them. So we gotta make sure that we listen to how he is speaking to us. Thank you. <laughs> now, there's a, another passage of scripture that, here that I want to look at, and it's in 1 Corinthians 6. And in here is another good example of, you know, another person, a mature Christian, and this can, it's almost like a pastor kind of coming in and speaking uh, into people who are kind of messed up. And it's in Corinthians, and over the last time I spoke here, I think I might have gave a little history lesson on uh, Corinthians, but the, the Corinth, Corinth, it was kind of a, it was like the Las Vegas of the time, right? That's where you get the, uh, the, the old saying they had back then was, whatever conspires in Corinth stays, stayeth in Corinth. <laughs> I'm making that up in case you're like, oh, I'm gonna write that down, that's what happened. Um, but they were known, they were famous for their prostitution, right? Kind of like Las Vegas is famous for its gambling. If you go to Vegas, even if you're not a gambler, you'll throw like a dime in a slot or something like that, just as you're passing by. Uh, that's how this was with prostitution. The thing was like, oh yeah, if you go to Corinth, make sure you bring money because there's the prostitutes. That, was, that, that actually was the saying of the day. And so what happens here is Paul goes, he's got this church going and he hears about these guys and these are church guys, okay? And they're frequenting the uh, prostitution temples. And one of the things that they would say is they had this saying, they would say, uh, I have the right to do anything. And that was kind of their way of explaining it. Now, what they were meaning by that was, you know, they understood that 
they are able to have a relationship with God, be forgiven of their sins because of God's grace. And God's grace covers that, which is true. Thank God for his grace, right? None of us would be here today worshiping him and even be able to come in if it wasn't for the grace of God in our lives. And so it's a huge thing, but they so focus in on that that they start adapting that into things of their, their culture, right? Because their culture says prostitution is fine. And they go, yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm not bound by the law of sin and death anymore. I, I can do what I, I want to. Uh, and Paul kind of comes in and uh, explains something to them that that's not thinking the right way. Okay, so you'll see this here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, so this is Paul, and he's quoting their little saying, okay? He says, I have the right to do anything you say. But then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Quotes him again, I have the right to do anything. And then he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. What he's explaining to them is they think that with their freedom and whatever, they can do whatever, and they remain free. What he's saying is you don't remain free. If you're forgiven of sins, hallelujah, amen, but then you stay in your sin, guess what you're still a slave to? Sin. And that's what these people are doing. They're still enslaving themselves in this sin, trying to say, well, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, I'm forgiven. He's like, okay, you say you're forgiven, but guess what? You're still being slaved to that sin, and this is not beneficial to you. And he quotes him again. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. You know, their way of explaining it was, um, well, just, this is just my body. And, and, and the way that they, uh, just to back up for a second, in their culture, their philosophy, their thinking of how things worked is they thought that you have a body and you have a soul, right? And that your body is just this, it just happens to be the vehicle you're driving right now. It's kind of like rent a body, okay? It's like a rental car. Anyone drive a rental car and you just, you do things in it that you wouldn't do in your car, Right? It gets kind of banged up. You're like, I don't know, not my car, not my problem, right? And you just keep on going. This is how they viewed it. And it was just, that was in their culture, that's how this was viewed. So they're saying, well, in the same way that the food is for the body and the body is for the food, that's the way it is, but God's gonna destroy them both in the end. Like, this is just a rental car. Who cares? It's gonna blow up in the end. I don't really care. But Paul corrects them here. He says, uh, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He's explaining, no, something different in this, because they just think, this is my body, my body's got needs. That's why the prostitution temples are there. So the prostitution temple for the body, the body for the prostitution temple, who cares, God's gonna destroy them both. That was their reasoning. And he's like, no, 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 there's something more holy about that body that you have. He says, by the power God, but by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Now, do you remember the Easter story, how Jesus is buried in the tomb, right? And his body's there. And then when they go to find him on Easter morning, as we celebrate, is the tomb empty? Or is there still a body there? Tomb's empty. That's the miracle. Holy cow. Now, with their thinking and the way they thought of it, the body would, that's his rent-a-body. It, that would still be sitting there. And now he'd be this new soul guy walking around. But in fact, that body's not there anymore. And if you remember the story, it's like uh, doubting Thomas, how I won't believe unless I can 
put my hands in the holes in his hands. Well, what happens? Jesus shows up and he, you can see the scars. You can see where his side was pierced. You can see where he had the nails in his hands. But yet, he's raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And so that's what Paul's kind of saying. Well, wait a second. If what you're saying was true, his rent-a-body would have stayed there and he'd be this new soul man, which now I just keep thinking of the soul man song in my head. <laughs> <laughs> the Blues Brothers. Uh, but no, as he said, actually God raised Christ from the dead. He's going to raise you as well. You're hanging on to this body. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and now he's quoting revelations here, he says the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So he tells him, you guys are thinking this wrong. You need to flee from sexual immorality because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you need to honor God with your bodies. It says in Romans that our bodies, we need to treat them like living sacrifices to God. This is not just some rent a body. What you do, it does matter. But what happens here for these Christians when I think is easy for even Christians today to happen and fall into is they get so focused into what's going on or they spend so much time focusing in on what culture that they, they don't see the whole picture. It's like I, I have this vision of little kids playing soccer. You ever seen little kids play soccer? You're, th you're thinking, no, we're in Wisconsin. Our kids play football. What's going on? <laughs> you play soccer too. I, that, that was kind of my sport. I got into like later, kind of I played in high school and in college, and, uh, but growing up I played baseball and football. And uh, you know, by the time I got to soccer, um, my father, who's not a soccer fan, uh, found it difficult to come to my games at times because he had no idea what was going on. How many of you are like that where you hear offsides and you have no idea what offsides in soccer is, right? You're like, there's no line of scrimmage. Right, that was my dad, offsides, offsides, where's the line of scrimmage? I didn't even see him, what's going on? <laughs> but when I was baseball, Baseball was funny, you know, so my dad, he's involved in baseball. He would, he would show up and he would coach and he would do that thing. And then I played some Pop Warner football. Of course, I was like two, three years older than all the kids because they did it by age. Or no, they did it by weight. And I was so skinny that I'd play with the little kids. <laughs> but and football was, he even created his own like sports network for our team. First, he sponsored our team. So my Gunger Productions was on the front of it. And at that time, my dad, he wasn't pastoring. He uh, was a... Uh, business owner, did video production and things. So during our games, he had his own like GPSN, you know, Gunger Production Sports Network, and he would bring all these cameras, everything. He had, he had slow-mo instant replay for a Pop Warner football game. And then he and another guy would do commentary. Honest to goodness. And you can guess which of the two was the color commentator. Yes, it was my father. The other guy's doing the play-by-play. -play. And then they would, they would do this thing, and then they'd put them on uh, uh, the local cable access or whatever afterwards. So he got into that. Yeah, then he got into soccer, and he wasn't sure what to do. He was just trying to follow along. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, the game would be done. He's like, you did good, right? 
good? You lost. Oh, well, hey, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not even sure if anyone scored. What was the score? He still gives me grief about that. It was so boring. Um, but the thing you understand, when you actually understand the strategy of soccer, you start understanding what's going on, and it's not so boring. But most people, and little kids especially, only know one thing about soccer, and that is you kick a ball, right? And if you're real good, you kick it hard. So when you have little kids playing soccer, here's what happens. They set the ball there. They put all the little kids in their positions. Kids have no idea what, you know, a left wing is. I don't know what that means. Playing defense, I don't know. They blow the whistle. Where do all the kids go? To the ball. Why do they go there? That's the only part of the game they understand. Run to the ball and kick it. And if I'm good, I'm going to kick it hard. They don't even care what direction they kick it. He's just some kid, they'll just belt the ball and go out of bounds, but it was real big, and he's like, yeah, I'm awesome, woo! <laughs> like, great, you just, you, you scored, but that was on your own goal. Turn around next time, right? They have no clue. And as I'm reading this about Corinthians, I thought, oh my goodness. As Christians, if we don't watch out, we become like little kids playing soccer, where we focus in on one thing, and we just go after that. You know, these people are doing it with grace. It's grace, 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 grace. I can do anything. I can do anything. It doesn't matter what I do, because grace. Paul's coming in, whoa, 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 hold on. There's, you're, you're, you're missing some other things. People can do it with, on the other side, they can do it with the law. And they get real, you know, you've got to follow, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You've got to make sure you're doing the right things. They get real legalistic about everything, and that's just because all their focus is right on there. And they're missing the bigger picture. We have to be careful that we don't do that. You can also get really focused on just what's going on in culture. Now listen, I believe Christians, as Christians, we need to be involved in the culture, okay? We do. I think Christians should be involved in their cities, in their local governments, involved in things and, and making things better. But you gotta make sure that you're not letting culture or a political stance now become, this is my righteousness, <laughs> And I will find the Bible and kind of bring it in places that I see fit. That's not how it goes. Carl Barth, he's this Swiss theologian guy. He was talking to some young theologians and he told them this. He says, you need to take your Bible, take your newspaper, and you need to read them both. He said, but interpret the newspaper from your Bible. I thought, oh man, sometimes I'm guilty of that. I spend more time in the news, and maybe I did my Bible, and all of a sudden I start getting triggered, or it starts, in fact, you ever do that? You ever, or get on social media, and like you just feel depressed after watching social media, or reading through there, or you get mad. <laughs> Whenever I do that, I go, hold on, what am I doing? I'm interpreting how I feel and how I act based off of all these crazy people out here. That's not how it works. Well, should I just stay away from it then and never? No, you can be involved, you need to be engaged, but you should be bringing as a Christian, the gospel into those areas. Not trying to bring those areas into the gospel. That's what these people did. Here's what they're doing. Prostitution is okay. Let me bring that into the gospel. Oh, it's grace. It's okay. And this is another example of having a good Christian person in their life that can come on and say, whoa, whoa, you're not seeing the game correctly. Let me help you coach you on this. And this is why we need to stay humble so people can speak into our lives, Right? That's why you come to church. That's why you get involved in things. Because you need those people in your life or you'll be doing, doing something in your life and you may not even know 
that it's wrong and it's causing you grief. But you can get somebody in your life that can help you with it. You have a problem with your kids or something. You bring it up and then you find out someone can say, hey, well, you're kind of, you're kind of being a jerk to them. Don't, you ever think about doing this or that? And, you, and I know this is tough. We don't like people telling us what to do. But stay humble enough of maybe God's trying to speak to you through that. All right, and then the last section here I want to look at, this is John 1. We're going to do verse 43. And it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, which by the way, you see how Philip's spelled with one L? Once I asked my dad, I'm like, why'd you name me Philip? He said, oh, after Philip in the Bible. I said, then that has one L though. My name has two. He goes, oh, I guess you're a typo. <laughs> so every time, every time I read Philip in the Bible now, that pops into my head. Uh, <laughs> somebody's thinking, you're deeply hurt by this. No, I'm not. It's just, it was, I thought it was hilarious. That's classic my dad. So anyway, he sees Philip. Finding him, he says to him, follow me. So Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And so Philip found Nathaniel. This is a buddy of his from his town. And he says to him, dude, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's the guy. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good, from, good come from there? He's like, what are you talking Nazareth? That's like, you know. It's like, can anything good come from Manasseh? Just kidding. That's a joke for Becky here. Obviously, the people actually have a campus there in Manasseh. If you didn't hear her audible gasp, it was funny. <laughs> but Philip, his buddy, convinced him, come and see. He's like, okay, my buddy wants me to go see. I'll go and see. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I was like, well, how do you know? You don't know me. <laughs> Jesus answered, no, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And there was something in that that just, boom. God spoke clearly to Nathaniel. Because you see him, he then declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's a conversion moment for him. Something as simple as that. No, dude, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, Nathaniel never would have had that moment or met Jesus if his buddy Philip wouldn't have convinced him to come along. And I think there's, while there's people in here who are new in their faith and trying to figure things out and need to get around mature Christians, there's those of you in here who are mature Christians. And you need to go out there and you need to be like Philip. And when you hear someone dealing with something, dude, let me point you towards Jesus. It's simple. You don't need to know how to, he didn't preach a sermon to him or anything like this. Philip just said, dude, come, come with me. It might be as simple as you just need to find someone. You know someone, you got someone at work or a friend or family and you can see them, right? They're depressed, they're going through something. You know, man, this person needs Jesus. You don't have to go in and preach at them. You just say, dude, man, you need to come with me some Sunday morning. They might say, can anything good come from getting up on Sunday morning? <laughs> yeah, just come on out. Just come sometime out. And you're coming out so that they can have a connection and a relationship. And you have no idea what it could be in that service. 
you know, Be- Becky uh, for, uh, used at the other campus, she was talking about the time when she first came to church and how it just, phew, something just hit her. And you, you kind of make that relationship. So you might be the mature Christian who needs to bring someone in to have that connection with Jesus. And it's as simple as being friendly to them and being nice to them. You just point them along. Nah, dude, come with me. And then God can do amazing things just through that faithfulness. Now, as we finish up here and we get ready to move into our time of communion, you might be a person who's, you're here at one of the campuses, you're watching online, and you're saying, you know what, I've, I've never really made that commitment to follow Jesus. And something this morning, the Holy Spirit's just hitting me. I just feel like I need to do that. And so I want to give you an opportunity to just say a simple prayer to make that simple dedication of, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Just like Nathaniel said, you are God. So at the campuses, the band can come on out and they can get ready. And I just want to close here uh, in a prayer. If everyone could just bow their heads. And let me just pray this over you. You can pray this as well in your hearts. But Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and Lord, as it says in your word and being obedient to your scripture, we pause and we take just a moment to examine ourselves. And so Lord, whether we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, maybe by something we've done, something we've left undone, God, if we have not loved you with our whole heart, if we have not loved others as ourselves, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, walk in your way, to the glory of your name. Amen.